excited to have you guys on for this panel. And guys, it's my first panel as well today. I'm hosting a lot tomorrow, but for everybody who doesn't know me, my name's Alana Gold. I'm a partner at Red Beard Ventures, and I'm really just excited to be here today. And given it's one of the last panels of the day, I just want to thank the whole team for all their effort in making this possible. I feel like it turned out better than any of us could have ima imagined. Thanks for the panelists for coming on and spending their time and also for everybody listening today. Uh, but this panel we're going to be jumping into is all about real world blockchain applications. And we're considering both their challenges as well as their solutions and insights into the space from the perspective of what I think are some of the top Web3 builders. So we only have 30 minutes, but I'd love to just go in and jump in. So I will start off with you, Hugo, if you just want to give your name, company, and a one-liner about what you guys are building. Cool. Yes. So my name's Hugo Feiler. I'm co-founder and CEO at Minima. Um, and we are building um, the world's most compact and lean um, layer one blockchain, which means that every device, um, whether mobile phone, IoT device, can run a full constructing and validating node on the network, made completely decentralized. Awesome. Uh, Craig, if you want to go ahead. Yeah. My name is Craig DeWitt. I'm a founder of SuperMojo. We are an enterprise platform that allows brands and creators to create Web3 experiences to drive loyalty and engagement from their customers. Awesome. Um, Joe, go ahead. Hi, everyone. Um, Joe Vellani-Karin, the CEO and founder of Brightvine. And uh, Brightvine is an AI and blockchain-powered platform that's automating the review and verification of loan data. Awesome. And Daniel? Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Daniel Goldsmith. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Heights Labs. Um, and we're building what we consider to be the first actionable blockchain intelligence platform. Um, and the first ability to understand the full flow funds um, at the transaction layer across entire blockchains in real time. Awesome. So thank you guys for all that. So I wanted to start off with this question because I believe that you guys are really building Web2 companies, but using the blockchain technologies. So what opportunities or innovations has incorporating blockchain enabled that weren't previously possible in your industry? And I guess, Hugo, just given that you were the first one to introduce yourself, I'll start off with you. Cool. I mean, I guess we're slightly different in that we're being a base layer protocol. What we tend to do is work across a number of industries rather than specific ones. But um, I guess to take in a good example, we're working now within the automotive industry um, as they look to sort of build out infrastructure for EV charging, um, not just in public charging, but also in private charging, wallbox charging as well. Um, and so we, well, part of our solution is to embed a minimum node on both the users' cars and then also on um, EV chargers, which means that private wallboxes can be rendered out through access control through the blockchain. Um, so effectively, it's, it's enabling sort of the Airbnb of um, um, EV charging to be enabled for any user um, who has a wallbox. Um, so that's sort of a, a big area. As cars obviously move into sort of um, electrification, it's a huge area to, to build up enough um, infrastructure to enable everyone to have move around without um, range anxiety. And just to add on top of that, before I kind of go to the other panelists, but you guys are also adding a token component into your business. So how have you guys thought about adding in the token layer into your guys' strategy? So, I mean, the, the token at the moment, I mean, specifically within automotive is um, for access control. 
So we're still using sort of fiat um, on-ramp, off-ramp for payments. But actually the token, which then sort of um, records the um, the amount of um, charge required and the timing that the charge box will be opened um, is, um, uh, is created on the token. So we use the token for, in this instance, access control and um, sort of um, reservation rights. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so now I will throw it over, I guess, to Joe from Brightvine for the initial question of opportunities you see um, by incorporating the blockchain into your business or industry. Yeah. Uh, so in the mortgage industry, there's this common phrase that everyone says, which is, quote unquote, trust, but verify. And so, you know, uh, when you create a loan, you sell a loan, you securitize the loan, literally you have PDF files and Excel spreadsheets that are just being sent all over the place uh, across different institutions. And they all want, quote unquote, trust, but verify. And the only way to do that is manually right now. So, you know, the, the dream view, and this is what we've built, is the ability to look at a data entry on a sheet and understand who outside of your company, where they got that information from and pointing you to that place in the document. And uh, this is where how we're implementing blockchain and how we're able to give that immutable audit trail for, you know, the preparation, validation and, and cleaning of a mortgage file. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Daniel, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah. Um, so the the core innovation that we actually introduced is the ability to trace really large networks really quickly. Um, and when we first started the company, we went to traditional financial institutions um, and MSBs, like some of the largest in the world, um, and tried to figure out, okay, well, how do we ramp up their compliance? How do we enable law enforcement to better understand illicit flows of funds so that more legitimate finance could move over those reels quicker? And it became clear that those networks were not particularly good at storing and understanding their own network data. And so one of the reasons that we moved into the blockchain space um, is because that's a place where you could have societal level data with a single source of truth. And since the data becomes a commodity when on a public network where everybody has access, it's about how good are your analytics and your insights that you can create um, quickly. And so since that's the core innovation that we brought to market, being on public networks kind of made a lot of sense for us uh, just as a starting point, right? So making use of the visibility as a baseline, but you know, anytime someone has ever used a block explorer and tried to understand anything beyond the first hop of a transaction and all of a sudden things start poking in a million different ways, you know, our system, you basically upload whatever data you have, if it's a transaction, an address, a wallet, and you see, oh, well, indirectly, however many hops forward or backwards, this is where the money actually was funded from and this is where the money went to. Um, and so for us, it was kind of a no brainer to move into the, the blockchain space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Craig, I'll end it with you. So. Awesome. Well, the, you know, the problem space that we found is the, the companies, the corporates and the brands that we talk to are looking for new ways of interacting with their existing customers and new customers. And the tools that they have to do that are, are pretty tired. They haven't changed much in 10, 20 years. Their, their email programs, their, their loyalty programs that don't actually have external value associated with them. And so what we're able to use Web3 in general is a direct relationship from the brand to the user without going through some intermediary like Google or Facebook, as well as actual value that's both redeemable, so that's experiences or specific brand assets that are only available to those users in exclusive fashion, and also the ability of converting those directly into value if the user wants to sell those. So it's a brand new way of getting new users who are excited um, and creating a direct relationship for the first time where, you know, they've been disintermediated on the internet for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I think 
all of you guys are building really interesting companies, I think have a lot of room for growth. And so I think I want to start off with Joe from Brightvine. But how do you think that technology will be different over the next five to 10 years that isn't currently available today? Because I think you're working with mortgage-backed securities and it's something that's been around forever, but now you're utilizing the blockchain. You're also, I know you guys are using AI a lot. So where do you see the future heading? Yeah, I mean, it's really exciting what the future holds in the next five to 10 years. I mean, I think the combination of, of AI and blockchain will get us to the point where you can literally just take a a loan file. When I say loan file, it's that stack of documents that you sign when you buy a house and you create a mortgage. You drop it into Brightburn, you drop it into an application, and that immediately creates a mortgage token, right? And then you decide in an interface, what is the structure for that securitization? And that immediately makes MBS tokens that you can then sell digitally. Uh, and that is a very different reality than what is happening right now. Right now you have, once, like I said before, you have you know, physical files or PDFs and Excel spreadsheets being rechecked over and over and over again. And then you have lots of individuals who are creating legal documents. And it's a really, really long, tedious, expensive process. Uh, and when we get to the point where you can literally create a mortgage token or an MBS in, in the span of five minutes, potentially, that's going to be a pretty incredible future. And how is the onboarding process works? Because obviously, like sometimes the blockchain is just a buzzword, but here you have a real use case that people are using. Has there been any pushback where some of the people that you want to work with don't want to, because I know you guys are working with some of the biggest banks and also um, consulting firms. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, um, it's really an education component. You know, a lot of people in traditional finance just don't understand blockchain or they just assume blockchain is the same as crypto or Bitcoin. Uh, and so, you know, the pushback is, is it's just educating them that just because uh, there have, has been bad press coverage of crypto in the past, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the blockchain and the technology itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Hugo, I'm going to go back to you on this one as well. Kind of similar question, because you guys too are obviously working with um, clients that apart weren't necessarily using the blockchain, and then you guys are coming in. So how has that onboarding process worked for different companies? Um, so... I mean, initially, I mean, let's say, um, I guess the industries are, and uh, the sort of the excitement about crypto and blockchain has sort of subsided now. And now people are actually looking for real world um, benefits because obviously, you know, if you're putting a new technology in, it has to be incrementally more helpful to the industry rather than ripping out um, uh, existing technologies. Um, and so, what we've done is we've actually looked to sort of be very specific about what. In this, in the initial instance, blockchain can do. Um, you know, there's so much that a, a, a blockchain could do once it's in a vehicle, for example. I mean, you know, there's a telemetry data that it can track. That's the communication between cars that it can track. It can pay for, you know, um, either EV charging or um, um, tolls or anything like that, basically. But if you try and do all of it at once, the industry sort of um, uh, sort of uh, doesn't want to sort of take that on board. So you look at very specific solutions, and then in this initial instance, it's access control. So we still have sort of fiat on ramps, off ramps payments, but actually it's the access control element um, that um, is is really interesting for vehicles. And you know the plane is many in many ways sort of a Trojan horse that once you're in the vehicles with the access control um, token. Um, then you can start to offer additional um, solutions as well. So it's sort of bit by bit, really. So taking, um, as as um, Joe said, it's sort of an education job for 
um, each industry to understand where they can take it and how they can benefit from it. Yeah. And I think just going back to Joe here for a second, but I think Mark asked a great question that I was actually going to ask next, which is like, what needs to happen from a regulatory perspective? I think that goes hand in hand for both of you, but especially to have that NFT of the mortgage-backed security in place. So have you guys come across any kind of setbacks because of regulatory uh, requirements and what really needs to change? Yeah, that is, I mean... I think at the end of the day, an MBS is a it's a mortgage-backed security, so it's a security. Um, and so I, I really think it's it's still actually I mean, the regulatory challenges is having the regulators regulators comfortable with having securities on the chain. And so I mean, uh, with that asset class in particular, um, it's it's pretty clear cut, uh, frankly. But uh, then it's just uh, you know advancement of time to get people on board. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, Craig, I'm going to go over to you because I think from a regulatory requirement, you guys are helping people make different payments, obviously making NFTs for anybody. Have you guys come across any problems specifically from, I guess, a payment perspective for NFTs and for being able to buy and sell crypto? Yeah. So in, in our neck of the woods, our biggest hurdle isn't necessarily existing regulatory hurdles. It's to the point that Joe is bringing up it's the complete uncertainty you have from these companies. And when you're talking to a Fortune 500 or or any of the companies folks on this panel are talking to, there's extreme risk of of, of downside of doing something in crypto. It's amazing how many people, when you talk to crypto right now or or NFTs or what have you, the first thing that pops in their head is is FTX. And so you're coming at a place of of, of, a a pretty deep hole that you have to dig yourself out of. And so I 100% agree with Hugo. The name of the game here is finding that Trojan horse or finding that foot toehold. What can you do to solve real problems today, even if it's a small way that gives you a foot in the door to be able to roll out your roadmap in the future? And for us, that's solving corporate's problems of, hey, you have this old email list that nobody reads. We can increase the number of click-throughs. We can increase customer engagement quantifiably and give you actual attribution because we're using Web3 as a way for these folks to hold these assets. And that's very appealing, but you still, and this is at least the enterprise sales side of the game, You've got to make sure you can navigate these enterprises because there's going to be somebody in there that says, oh, NFTs, Web3, that's toxic. And you got to be really good with how you actually go through the sales process and creating a deep relationship with those first customers to get in that door. Yeah. And I think what you said is really important where like everybody keeps asking for these uh, regulatory rules and so that you could actually be in line with them. I mean, Coinbase is somebody who has gone in to regulatory again and again, being like, show us the rules and requirements so we can be in line. And I think... I was going to ask, like, what do you think it's going to take for that to happen? But I think it's really hard to know. And I think all you could do is use the information that you know and move forward with your business in that sense. But Daniel, you're coming out from kind of this other side of the house where you're kind of looking for the fraud and for the mess. So I'm curious, what's your perspective? Because I think if there's somebody like you and your company in there that's being able to trace crypto to being able to know about the fraud, know about this. In turn, I think it helps shed a light from a regulatory perspective where people then will feel safe. But I'm curious to know, yeah, your perspective from a regulatory requirements in this space. Yeah. um, Well, in an ironic way, I think we would probably benefit the most of everyone on the call from a regulatory requirement because like we're building to the, the product we build is to meet regulatory requirements that don't actually exist right now. Right. And so it's not like that satisfies the the back end of our house to go build a product that actually gets us revenue for us it's like you know 
we we actually work more with we, we work primarily with law enforcement um and uh dod and intelligence elements rather than even the regulatory um part of of government agencies right now because the you know i, I was kind of laughing when i when i was invited to this panel in particular because like our use case is combating crypto crime but it basically admits that there's an element of the market that like does you know consumers need protection and in the absence of a clear regulatory regime um uh you know we're, we're trying to fill the gap of saying hey you know um these are tools that exist this is an education component and then this is ways that you really don't need to be a crypto expert there there are a lot of people especially in federal law enforcement that became almost like crypto gurus where all they do is solve crypto crime but that that basically inhibits them from solving like the you know their day-to-day work um and so we're trying to take the stance of how do we engage with not necessarily the regulators because i don't think they're necessarily at the point today that they can have these conversations with firms like ours today but with state and local law enforcement so i was actually in connecticut today engaging with state and local law enforcement getting them up and running in our pilot um at multiple levels so it's everything from municipal governments to state uh enforcers because you know when someone gets uh in like a romance game for example they have that happen to them they go to their local law enforcement they basically say oh crypto is not traceable we don't know what to do because they don't have an affordable scalable tool that they can use on the law enforcement side and then that builds a stigma in the in the community of just like average people in the world that go and do you know things with financial services right and so when we can come in at that level which is what we're trying to do we're trying to just solve it from a grassroots effort rather than saying hey you know educate the regulators because the regulators kind of do have a perspective right now um that's kind of different than what people are kind of seeing on the ground just as users of financial services crypto or otherwise and just so people know listening and i'm going to throw it over to you max i saw that you were able to join but for people who are learning about your company and i think one of the first questions we had before investing was how does it work in terms of kind of tornado where you could go ahead go mix up the transactions you don't know where the money goes and then it actually goes to the end person could you explain how it works from your businesses yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, it's a fair question. I mean, the question of mixers is basically, you know, introducing anonymity through, uh, you know, on-chain obfuscation, right? So the, the the thing we're the thing we've noticed today is that even for uh, major cases, and I, I think Craig, you were talking about FTX is like the talking point. Um, we actually we actually were the firm that identified um, the FTX hack about four hundred million dollars. All of it moved through on-chain mixers but the problem was um because those trails were traced by hand no one but us was able to say hey let's let's take a second let's let's not look at the fat individual paths that move through a mixer that may have enough liquidity or may actually overwhelm the mixer in that in that case the mixer had enough liquidity what we saw was that there were small transactions going into the mixer that were actually just the user that stole the funds trying to test their transactions and then those small you know, those small dust amounts re-aggregated with mixed funds post-mix. And so we actually found the the entirety of those funds move into a different global exchange just because it's a user and there is room for user error even when people are using mixers. Um, uh, unfortunately, not much happened with that because everyone, you know, involved in that case had kind of a, a broad range of uh, uh, goals and agendas, we, we can say. But um we, we had that information and, and law enforcement was interested to a degree, but it really is like, how do you make sense of what's happening? And, and you know, Mixer and liquidity is, uh, are basically like two sides of the same coin. So I'll say that. And then the flip side is that I think 
even today or yesterday, we saw firms like Binance, D-List, Monero, um, just because they're, you know, anyone that's looking to do anything that resembles um, legitimate financial services is trying to balance the sides of like, well, there's anonymity and privacy, and then there's pseudonymity, which is, you know, probably probably good enough for most use cases, right? But if you're going to have a globally accepted uh, alternative to something like fiat currency, there probably has to be some level of traceability. And so we tried to provide that without doxing all users on the blockchain, which is something we don't do at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. And Max, welcome. Um, I was wondering if you just want to give a quick intro of yourself, um, your business, and then I'd love to kind of jump into what you guys are building. Yeah, sure. Uh, my apologies that I got some issues with the link. So finally, I, I got it to the studio. Um, yeah, my name is Max Lee. I'm the founder and the CEO of Ort. Uh, in the meanwhile, I'm a faculty member at Columbia University uh, working with the electrical engineer department. Uh, my research interests are AI and blockchain technologies. And ORT, uh, O-R-T, is the project that I'm working on right now. Um, so we're trying to build an AI-focused decentralized cloud for the world. Um, so uh, the key selling point of this product is, uh, you know, uh, the cost, the big cost of savings and the privacy, data privacy guaranteed for AI-focused business. So which are the two pain points for the current AI applications now? Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you, yep. everyone. Yep. Yeah. That really answered one of my first questions of how has incorporating the blockchain really helped you guys in what you're building. Mm-hmm. But I also know that you guys have a token component as well that recently was launched. So I'd love right. if you could talk a little bit more about the use cases in that and how has that been built in and ingrained in your business? Yeah, sure. Um, so blockchain is, a, I, I would say that to build a decentralized cloud is uh, it's a, it's a big thing, right? So uh, we uh, applied lots of technologies in it. And the blockchain is only one of it, uh, one of them, and, uh, which is the most important one of the most important one. So why we need a blockchain? So because our basic idea is to integrate the global uh, re- uh, underutilized compute and the, and the storage resources, you know, uh, into our network, and so we need blockchain to connect them. And here, blockchain are used for two purposes. So the first is. Uh, we need a blockchain technology to verify that each node from the world, someplace in the world, uh, you know, server, let's say private server or or public server, something like that, they are authentic, right? And once they are assigned with some computing and storage work, uh, they should do the work uh, correctly and honestly, rather like uh, a, a malicious node doing something bad. In computer science, we call this a verifiable computing, and this has been a research topic there for many years. And blockchain technology is a solution to do to resolve this problem. Make sure that you know that uh, the nodes from uh, in the network, no matter where the node comes from, uh, they are authentic and they are doing correct job, right job. So for now, we have uh, almost uh, thirty servers around the globe covering one of eight countries in the world. So the nodes from Russia, from China, from India, from Nigeria, you know, and the blockchain is the only solution for now to make sure these nodes are good nodes. And the second is for this uh, incentive, because, you know, these nodes, they, these guys, they, they, they contribute their server to the network, they want an incentive. Otherwise, no one want to do that, right? So blockchain, of course, by nature, is a good way to give uh, these uh, people incentive uh, in a very fast and efficient way. 
So that's why uh, we have to use blockchain in, in our decentralized cloud and make it happen. Yeah. And I guess I'll throw this question to start with you, Max, as I know you just ended. But what challenges have you faced integrating the blockchain with existing industry systems? And how have you guys solved that? Well, yeah, there's uh, actually there's multiple challenges. Uh, one is the, you know, which is uh, uh, the challenge for many blockchain public chain uh, is uh, the throughput. Right. So uh, once you have a tens of transactions per second, the throughput always become the bottleneck. And especially in our case, it's much more complicated because we have our own consensus algorithm. We call this uh, proof of honesty. Um, you know, this consensus algorithm, we already published academic papers on that. And also we got uh, the U.S. patents granted for, for this technology, for this consensus algorithm. So uh, uh, POH uh, is... It's, uh, it's a um, there's a multiple you know um, uh, smart contract uh, in the in this consensus algorithm means like if you run this algorithm in the network to uh, you know to this algorithm is used to guarantee that uh, all the nodes are authentic and honest you know and this is a very complicated uh, algorithm and inside algorithm there's ten, tens of uh, smart contract means like every time you run algorithm you have to run lots of smart contracts and uh, you know. And these uh, interactions between the smart contracts, and this requires lots of uh, uh, you know uh, very high throughput of the network. So uh, how can we make that efficient and you know uh, without uh, you know congesting the network? And it's a pretty challenge. Yeah, um, Hugo, I'll throw it back to you. If you have any kind of challenges with the integration, how have you guys been able to solve that? Yeah. So well, I mean, minima as a protocol is as a software download. So actually, and it has a very small footprint, which makes it very easy to integrate from a practical perspective into devices. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, um, it, as you say, it, it's just how much of the, um, how much of the pie do you try and eat at this whole, first time basically. And so in many, and what we've always done is I say, keep it quite specific in terms of the solution we deliver at this stage. Um, and then look to then build um, further um, functionality out from the blockchain. Um, so it literally take one step at a time. So it's been something that, um, you know, technically speaking, it's not difficult, but it's more of a sort of a, a business decision. Um, and then going through the different business divisions of each company um, to sort of persuade them to take on board um, blockchain as a solution as well. And I think you know, one final thing, I think we often, you know, when we talk to our um, new clients we very rarely uh, we certainly never say crypto and we very rarely say blockchain we talk about solutions um, rather than that um, you know so so many of our decks don't even talk about that and um, because effectively the enterprise clients aren't interested in crypto they're interested in can they get better solutions for their customers can they make them more sticky and everything like that basically so i think that's a maybe a, a, an interesting um sort of learning we've made over the years mm-hmm and um, Craig, what about you? Because I know it's um, really interesting how you guys are implementing into the different projects and how is that working and challenges you guys have faced. Yeah, so great point by by Hugo. We see the same thing uh, servicing uh, you know some of these companies in the Fortune 500 and their end users, and that is how can you deliver the magic of the blockchain, which is ownership, access, and then the ability of getting liquidity to these things uh, while remaining, remaining regulatory compliant, meaning like, we as a company are not the custodian while giving the customer an excellent experience that they're used to in today's with like full customer experience. And that's, it's tough to kind of get all, all bases of this trilemma, but 
through integrating um, through mediums that customers understand today, email sign up, SMS, like all of these things together, you can we're close to being able to put together on top of account abstraction, very easy ways where customers can interface with these assets in a regulatory compliant fashion while getting the magic of the blockchain. And that tipping point, I think, is where you're going to see the first Web3 applications really explode. And that's something that we're hoping to build with with our enterprise customers today. Yeah, definitely. Guys, I'm going to have to end it here because we have come up on time for this panel. But I really appreciate you all taking the time to come on today and share your thoughts and everything you're building. And it's really exciting to have you guys all on the Red Beer Ventures portfolio and continuing to support you guys. So thanks for your time. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Cool. Thanks, having us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, everyone. This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.